Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we embrace the glories of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. This is our last program for the year. For the holiday period, we will have some repeats of our favourite programs from 2017. And in this program, we look at news stories with David Campbell, including the New South Wales Police to continue using V8 rear-drive pursuit cars, but this time they're American muscle cars. Last week, we road-tested the Toyota Prado. This week, it's another large SUV, categorised in the same class, but it is a very different vehicle. It's the Hyundai Santa Fe. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith, we take a frolicsome look at stories including weird cars from the Los Angeles Motor Show. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. Earlier this year, Overdrive reported that the New South Wales Police Highway Patrol was looking to select a new pursuit vehicle to replace the Ford Falcon XR8 and the Holden Commodore SS. These vehicles will gradually be retired now that local production has ceased. Under consideration were the Chrysler 300 SRT, the Genesis G80 and the Kia Stinger GT. Overdrive can now confirm that the US-made V8 rear-wheel drive Chrysler has been selected. The 300 SRT's 6.4-litre V8 produces peak power of 350 kilowatts and torque of 637 newton meters. Its top speed is around 280 kilometers per hour and it has a normal retail price of around $65,000 each. We understand the Chief Commissioner of the New South Wales Police will make an official announcement about the new Chrysler Pursuit cars in March next year. Volkswagen has announced it is recalling 57,600 Touaregs internationally after the German Motor Transport Authority said it found two new emission control devices on the SUV's 3-litre V6 diesel. However, Australian models do not appear to be affected. The recall concerns the latest Euro 6 version of the V6 diesel, but since models sold in Australia come under Volkswagen's Euro 5 classification, the announcement will not affect models locally. The news of yet another defect device being discovered follows an announcement last week that Volkswagen had stopped selling its T6 multivan after the German carmaker found the van had emissions that exceeded mandatory levels of nitrogen oxide. The Touareg model, embroiled in the recall series, shares the same 3-litre diesel as the Porsche Cayenne, that was swept up in a scandal in July. It is not known whether Audi models using the same V6 will become involved. The Liberty One Steel Wyala Steelworks has been awarded the contract to supply steel for the first section of Australian Inland Rail Infrastructure Project. The Australian Government has committed $8.4 billion to build a dedicated freight rail corridor connecting Melbourne to Brisbane in under 24 hours. It's the largest freight rail infrastructure project in Australia and is expected to be operational in 2024-2025.
The privately funded Wellcamp Airport near Toowoomba is expected to benefit from the project. The company which operates the airport has been forging its own export pathways into China and other key Asian markets. Chinese car company Nevs is reviving Saab, but the company has lost the rights to the Saab name. So it is relaunching the Saab 9.3 under its own brand. The first Nevs 9.3 featuring an electric powertrain recently rolled off the plant in Tianjin in China, making an important step in Nevs' plan to become a leading provider of sustainable mobility services. The company is developing second and third generation electric powertrains with its partners in China. These will feature in subsequent models, which will also be supplied to drivers using the Chinese ride-sharing service Didi. Didi is hoping to have more than one million electric cars on its platform by 2020. Nevs and Didi are also working together on fully self-driving cars. Anheuser-Busch. The maker of Budweiser beer recently placed an order for 40 Tesla semi trucks, even though the truck won't enter production until 2019. It's one of the largest reservations of Elon Musk's new truck to date. Each reservation requires a $20,000 deposit, so Anheuser-Busch has already paid $800,000. If the trucks end up retailing for around $150,000, that would put Anheuser-Busch's commitment. At about six million dollars, since it was unveiled, the Tesla Semi has racked up a fair number of pre-orders from several big names, including Walmart. Last year, Anheuser-Busch was one of the first company to use Uber's self-driving trucks for a shipment of beer in Colorado. Since then, Uber's autonomous trucks have received updated technology, but haven't made any more public demonstrations thanks to a lawsuit from Alphabet alleging stolen trade secrets. Volvo's new XC60 has just been named the 2018 Japan Car of the Year, but it was close. In a vote-counting ceremony that saw the lead change three times between the Volvo, the BMW 5 Series, and the Toyota Camry, the Swedish crossover pulled away in the closing moments to clinch the title. This was the first time in Japan's Car of the Year's 38-year history that Volvo has won the award. And that has been the news. In the last few years, we've seen a flood of talk about autonomous vehicles. Many talking about it being the motoring utopia, where we will have door-to-door travel without any difficulties. All it'll mean that might be a little delayed, but of course you can work in the car. I don't think it's that easy. Now, consulting firm M R Cagney has done some research on autonomous vehicles. They've just released a report, and I'm fortunate to be talking on the line with Leslie Carter, their managing director. Leslie, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Yes, thank you for inviting me. The、uh, research it was done in Auckland. How did you go about doing that? Yes, it was completed by our、um, Auckland office. It involved looking back over some projects that we've been involved in directly ourselves. And it also involved some what we call desktop research, which is looking at trends and events around the world, and then bringing it together in some、uh, coherent fashion. What sort of projects had you done that lap into this area of autonomous vehicles? Well, the projects that we that I'm particularly referring to are to do with active transport and、uh, parking policy and all of those things, which. 
it is said that all of those things would dramatically change with the introduction of autonomous vehicles. We had doubts that that would hold up. And so that was the basis for our own input, knowing what's happening in that space, what are the trends, what are the motivations behind current infrastructure investment in those areas, and would they change with the introduction of autonomous vehicles? Parking is a classic issue, isn't it? We will no longer need parking is a catch cry that some believe. What that may mean in terms of circulating traffic or other things is not all that clear. Is that the sort of issue that you were, or you've seen out there in the market? Yes, exactly. Um, there are some interesting statements that have been made in relation to autonomous vehicles. For instance, that they would solve congestion. Our view is that if you have just simply change one or one driven vehicle with one autonomous vehicle, who, which then circulate roundlessly as opposed to being parked at an end destination, we were puzzled as to how that was going to contribute to a reduction in, uh, in congestion. They talk about reduction in congestion because autonomous vehicles may be tr- able to travel closer to other vehicles and so pack more vehicles down a road. Yet that always seems to be in a very ideal situation of a freeway with no intersections or other difficulties. We've had a little bit of an idealistic view on the world. I think so in that regard, yes. There also is uh, an idealised view that everybody will move around via autonomous vehicles. In other words, you have your own private little chariot. The realities are if that happened and all of the capacity that currently exists with, for instance, public transport, if all of that then got translated into single occupancy type vehicles, again, We don't understand the argument and how it stacks up that that's somehow going to make cities more livable, reduce congestion and make life a better place. People with disabilities will have greater opportunity, but that, of course, will increase demand. While I'm Mm. not in any way holding back, in fact, that's a great way that autonomous vehicles may be helpful. But I think the American figures, there would be an enormous amount of, well, a very large increase in transport if that was taken up as much as it could be. Yeah, it could. So, again, unless there is some significant investment in road capacity, then really what we are talking about is the introduction of these types of vehicles in the context of the current road capacity. So if there is additional vehicles that come onto the road under under that guise, then clearly other vehicles need to exit the road if you're not going to create further congestion. So what directions should we start taking or at least start thinking about? We're of the belief that some of the bigger benefits some of the big benefits can be achieved through greater investment or greater investment in, in public transport. Even alongside autonomous vehicles, we believe that they still need to invest in and promote active transport, walking, cycling, those sorts of things. From our point of view, autonomous vehicles are just another part of the mix, and they're certainly not the panacea that's going to cure all ills of their current modern cities. In fact, autonomous public transport vehicles could well give us a much more cost-effective solutions at the moment, if we build a lot of just railed structures, you can put them together in carriages, but autonomous buses will be able to link electronically rather than just physically and start yeah. to serve that purpose as well. 
Yes, exactly. I think some very significant benefits to the community can be derived from autonomous public transport vehicles, buses. They can either be translated into greater subsidies, more frequencies, or just simply the uh, the operating authorities save money uh, in delivering the current services. Leslie, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you for your time. And that's Leslie Carter, the Managing Director of MR Cagney, who have just produced a report, Autonomous Vehicle Research Report, talking about what it might mean in the future, not just general dreams, but rather the reality of what it looks like when it's working. You're listening to Overdrive. We've just got out of the Toyota Prado large SUV into another vehicle in the same category, the Hyundai Santa Fe large SUV. But they are totally different cars, really. The Toyota is solid and dependable and aimed at the off-road market more than anything. The Hyundai, it's quite different. It's very different. And to talk about that, let's talk to Errol. He and I have been driving this particular vehicle. Errol, firstly, they don't look the same, do they? No, no, very different looking vehicles. This is a more sort of soft rider sort of look to it, more of a conventional passenger vehicle SUV than a, than a big rugged four-wheel drive look of the Prado. The Toyota is square, and not mean, but certainly purposeful in its looks. The Hyundai is more car-like, sloping bonnet and a bit of more styling features around it. Although it's been around for a long time. It's been around for at least six years and Mm. will be replaced with a new model early next year. So it has been around for some time, yet it certainly has a more modern look to it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Hmm. And it's um, even though it's a large SUV, it doesn't really sort of feel like one on the road. No. It feels more like a sort of a medium-sized SUV like uh, some of the other ones we've been driving. does seat seven people, although by the time you get to the third row, they're all uh, a li- not ideal for very tall people. What sort of engine has it got? Well, we had, of course, the Highlander, top of the range, in pure white. They probably gave that because I was driving it, I think, pure white. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Yeah, the hail- had the halo and everything. <laughs> uh, diesel engine. Yes. Well, we had we had the diesel engine. It's a uh, four-cylinder turbo diesel, 147 kilowatts and 440 newton meters. That's pretty good. So, yeah, it's not bad. Um, and a six-speed auto pushing it around. So about 7.8 litres per 100 on the combined cycle. It's rated as that, but if you load it up, of course, it can use much more. There is a 2.4 litre petrol, I think. Yes, and, and there's also a V6, 3.3-litre V6 petrol, although that uh, the V6 you can only get in the two-wheel drive variant. Not exactly cheap, is it? Certainly not the one we have. I mean, when you get the Highlander, that's the, the top of the range, sort of, with all the bells and whistles. So we're looking at about 62k, give or take, mm. uh, drive away, although they are throwing in um, five years of free servicing at the moment. Oh, really? That's pretty good. I've got to say, when you got into it, it looked plush. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I really like the um, the colour scheme because it's a sort of a beige, sort of a beige and black sort of combo, which is uh, quite pleasant. I thought. Yeah, and certainly looked like a, well, at least a prestige car, not mm. the sort of bland thing that's going to get dirt all over it. I, I really don't think it's aimed at the off road. It's off road capabilities. It, it has some of the technology there, doesn't it? It's got uh, hill descent control, and you can you've got a centre diff lock control. 
but it's not full-time all-wheel drive. There's no low range. It's got a sort of active on-demand four-wheel drive system, which kicks in when it when it thinks it needs it. It can lose traction where others will keep going if you're doing that, but I, I just don't see that as its market. No, no, probably not. Among other things, it's too plush to think that you're wanting to be going bonnet deep through water. Mm, mm. The diesel, we talked about it being a good, good performer. Yeah, I was surprised how quick it was when you put your foot down and the um, the power sort of kicks in straight away. You don't sort of didn't feel like there was a lot of turbo lag on the engine. But overall, how would you summarise the vehicle? Look, as far as it drives, it doesn't feel as big as it is. So it felt like a, a medium-sized SUV and it was very easy to drive and you just get in and go. So it's a very easy to live with family SUV, I guess. Family SUV, I think that's it. And and not in the style of the rugged climb the side of mountains type of SUV. And one that has all-wheel drive when it's needed, perhaps a little after when it's needed by a fraction of a second, but otherwise a pretty good vehicle. But you start paying over $62,000 to drive away with it if you want the top of the line. Errol, lovely to talk to you. A good review. Thank you very much. No worries, David. See ya. Uh, Errol Smith, and we were talking about the Santa Fe Highlander, and we will talk to Errol about some quirky news after this break. You're listening to Overdrive. And here we are back again with Errol Smith. Now, Errol, you have a story. Are you sitting down for this one? Uh, I am, David. Um, I'm wondering how many times I've sat in my chair based on this story. Uh, I don't think I've sat in it 25,000 times. What uh, Ford has created, this thing they call the robot, basically a robotic bottom, and it's used to test car seats. This is a technological breakthrough, David. This thing doesn't just, you know, go up and down on the seat, which is what that they used to do in the past. It actually gets into the seat the way that people get in and out of the car, which is actually with a sort of a sideways motion and it can squirm around in the seat like people do. Ah. So it's a far more realistic measure of the wear and tear on a seat over time. But it's a metric butt, I believe. I'm not sure how that relates to the pick handle measurement of a person's <laughs> rear end is it an average person or does it vary you know are we going to measure what happens if a large person sits there for a while then a small person sits on it or is it so to speak one size fits all i think they have gone for the one size fits all but they have gone for the uh, slightly larger male gent mm. so uh i guess that's the more likely to cause more wear and tear on the seat i would imagine okay then your petite lass is is less likely to you're at those springs. Does it pass wind when you... I was wondering that. I don't see any mention of odour testing in here. So um, I think that that's something they could work on. Perhaps that'll be in the second version of this, of the robot. Well, we've talked about road safety uh, dummies that have been growing in size. Perhaps that's something that they'll need to have it adjustable in the future. Mm. Errol, we have been talking about a number of car shows that have been around we've been to now which way you've been looking at the one from los angeles now chris bangle has a revered uh, reputation in the industry as a designer having at one stage worked as the head designer for bmw what on earth has he done now he's in a company called red space and they've made an electric city car for the chinese market 
it, it's hideous. <laughs> or at least I think it is. I think you've understated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got an, a bizarre combination of very sharp angles and curves and bright orange ac- accents um, across its body. Apparently, it's very practical. It would want to be. Yeah, the, the front windscreen, basically vertical. Hmm. And uh, apparently, despite this, they, they claim that it's actually a bit smaller than the original Mini, which is a hard act to follow, but it can carry four people in comfort. Okay. Uh, the, the way I would describe it is, do you remember those cheese cutter caps? They're a wedge-shaped little cap with a peak out the front. And then they had those versions for the snowy areas where you could pull down the sides. Yes. And then you looked really stupid, but you were warm. Yes. And I think that sums up the principle of this, that it has very flat sides with a little peak bit sticking out the front, although there's a rounded sort of front windscreen, and then there's the bit out the front. I've got a little bit of moon boot about it, Yes, I think. Yes, it does have a bit of that, doesn't it? The windscreen almost looks like part of a um, an air traffic control tower or something. They've sort of stuck onto the front of a oh, of yes, the car. Yes. I was thinking not of a bay window, but one of those little windows that you get that you know, protrude out from a house where you can sit in the sun and, you know, uh, just watch the things go by might be part of it. But you mm. say it's practical. In what way does it become practical, Errol? Well, it's all electric. It can carry four people. Four people? Yes, even though it's pretty tiny. Uh, so the the idea of this is that it's basically for places like Beijing where they've got terrible pollution and there's lots of cars, so it's designed for that kind of market where there's they, they don't travel a lot of distances, but they need to travel in comfort and not in something that isn't too big. Actually, having four people, I think, is good. Uh, I'll be talking to Brian next week about having room behind the driver, which I think is mm. absolutely critical, whether you have passengers there yeah. or other things. And the other thing is that when you're only pottering around the city, aerodynamics are not all that important. Yes, that's true, yeah, and this certainly wouldn't have a lot of that. Um, they do make a point that the the rear is the rear seat is a bench seat and can be used for like a baby change table. And what I the, part, the only part I don't quite understand is that it it can carry a fifth person, but only when it's stationary. Sorry, I don't get it either, David. Maybe you have to remove the steering wheel or something. If you have people that have been walking for a while and you're stuck in a long queue, yeah, maybe they just yeah they can sit on the bonnet and have a rest, have a game of cards. Daihatsu. They are one of the longest surviving, older surviving Japanese internal combustion engine manufacturers. Surviving might be an optimistic term in a way. I, you know, one hasn't heard a lot of them really of late. Mm. But they've come out now with a not a new name, Compagno, but uh, a, certainly a new model. How would you describe it? Well, it's a very retro look to it. Mm. isn't it? And and the Compagno is a, a name they used in 1965 with the uh, Daihatsu Compagno Spider. They had one on the stand at Los Angeles. I think that looks rather nifty. Mm. It's got almost a, a little bit of the the look that some of those Ferrari sedans tried to have, you know, with a simple round, yes. simple grille uh, and round headlights. I didn't think they were too bad. But the new one is got smoother lines and a bigger grille. It's also got a fastback. Mm. And not just any fastback, it's a long fastback, isn't it? Yes, very, very curved top. It's um, reminiscent of the Audi TT, I think, from the side, with that curved top that sort of seems to be all black. 
It seems to me like it's an old car that tried to be something special, but it's based on an ordinary sedan. And so they put this very long fastback look onto it and tried to make the front look a little bit better. But really, you look like you're getting a fastback version of a Hyundai XL from days gone by. <laughs> Damning with faint praise, is it? <laughs> it's interesting, but the, the front the front grille and things has a bit of a retro look to it. So I'm not quite sure what they're aiming for, but it's, a, it's an interesting vehicle nonetheless. Talking about room at the back of the car, Smart Vision EQ for two. Smart cars got a lot of looks when I've driven one. I think that's because of the car that it, hasn't really taken off by any degree and i hate the fact that it has very limited room behind the drivers mm. yeah well i mean of course there was one that was basically a two-seater mm. wasn't there and they had an ad with warwick kappa who was sitting next to a good-looking girl in the front two seats and said let's get in the back and warwick <laughs> wasn't really all the sharpest stick in the group was he and they were making fun of that and he was making fun of himself. I drove a Mitsubishi Triton the other day. Now, I normally like to get the dual cab because we you know, got to, uh, at least three in the family. It was an extended cab, but it had uh, suicide doors at the back, you know, sort of opening uh, doors that sort of met in the middle, although the front door was bigger than the back door. Mm. And you know what? Gee, it worked well. The key, we could put a kid in there for a short distance. Uh, it wasn't bad, but it was also just functional and easy to get into. This is the problem of the Aussie ute. It was two doors, a big tray, but no room behind the seats. The Falcon started to get that a little bit, and that was better. Mm. I, I think a city car needs to have that room in the back and be able to get to it easily. Yes, yes. And, and this is a uh, a very small vehicle that they're, uh, they're, they're talking about. It's a, a tiny autonomous EV with inductive charging, which I guess means you don't have yeah. to plug it in. Okay, well, it's a, it's a nice dream. Yeah. Let's see if it comes to a reality. Talking about dreams, we have talked about the Toyota Concept 1. It is a very fancy-looking car, but it will talk to you. One of the things they say, it says about the vehicle, Toyota says this, learning makes the smart car brilliant. So it uses artificial intelligence, so it learns along the way. The other is, they say, quote, less of a machine, more of a pal. Do you think... Oh... I could do with a pal. <laughs> I, I like this. The, the the they call it the smart car that gets brilliant. So when you buy it, it's only smart, and it gets brilliant over time as it learns. <laughs> All right, mate. Good to talk to you. Thanks for that, and uh, we'll see you next time. No worries, David. See you later. Errol Smith talking some quirky news here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Zachary Long and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.